0: The two most traditional procurement methods that have been around, well, the one that's been around the longest is what's called a bid or a request for quote. A competitive bid is the most formal, I will say that the nicest way. It's the most formal, most traditional, oldest way of competitively going through a procurement method to buy things, right? But the only thing that you can consider in a bid is price.
1: But government can create the conditions necessary for businesses to expand and hire more workers. Welcome to Civic Thinker, the podcast for fearless doers, GovTech innovators, and social entrepreneurs striving to reshape our world. I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Together, we'll unravel the mysteries, dismantle the barriers, and equip you with the tools to conquer the odds and achieve success. The answer is clear for the people to win, politics as usual, must lose. And so my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Because it's so hard that if you don't, any rational person would give up. Ask what you can do for your country. Hi, I'm Matt Moulter. And today we're talking about a touchy subject to me, procurement. As a GovTech founder, I've generally despised all of my dealings with the procurement. See, here's the situation. You've, you've got your end user uh, excited, your advocate uh, interested in your product, ready to move forward. And then they've worked hard to get all the approvals up the chain within their department. And so after months, we finally have everybody on board. And then the deal needs to move to procurement. And what does the uh, procurement office do when they get this? They, they call you, they uh, investigate this. And as they're questioning you, it, it really feels to me, and often has in the past, like they're trying to derail the deal. Uh, they don't understand the pains of our user. They don't understand what solution, you know, how our product really helps these people out because they don't really understand our, the, the people we're serving's job to begin with and uh, it's often like starting back from square one in the sales process so it's very frustrating lucky for us to break down all these misconceptions that i have uh, is a special guest today who's worked at the highest levels of state government she's worked with procurement departments around the country and now currently helps local school districts improve their procurement nicole kenney i think we want to start at the beginning and just to get a broader picture of what is procurement? And when we say things are going to procurement, what does that mean?
0: At the highest of levels, procurement, I like to put in kind of three buckets. So procurement starts at the very beginning when I, and I meaning anybody, we can use a school district as an example. A, a single school building, a principal, or maybe a central department like technology or food service identifies that they have something that they need to buy. So the procurement process of procurement department starts by, I have something I need, whether it's goods or services, and the procurement team supports the sourcing or the buying of those things, the contracts that need to be established as a result of the needs that have been identified, and then the ongoing day-to-day support of the performance and the contracts that are going through that process. So starting really at the very beginning of helping source, then contract management, and then the day-to-day buying that process holistically. That's procurement. I think what's also just as important to define is what procurement is not. Procurement is not the invoicing, the accounts payable. That's generally a separate department. A lot of times all under organizationally the same, but procurement needs to work really closely with accounts payable in the invoicing, but generally you do not have that pay component as part of procurement.
1: I would assume based on what you just said that maybe at a, at a small village town of, let's just say 25,000 people that the accounts payable and the procurement person might be the same person, or those jobs still split even that small.
0: So even that small from a separations of duties, it should be split because you don't want the same people that are establishing vendors, buying from vendors, and then also overseeing invoices. You've got a lot of, of separation of duties, conflict of interest. You should have those be two people. It's very possible that that's all kind of a same department, if you will, but you definitely have to have some separation. And that isn't unique necessarily to state government. That should be broadly private and public sector that you don't have the same people approving invoices that are adding new vendors to the system for the obvious checks and balance of like, I'm going to go set my brother up uh, as a vendor in our system. And then that's where fraud, right? Fraud, misuse and abuse. And
1: I see. So a split of duties just for financial protection. Absolutely. On
0: the AP side and the procurement side.
1: Okay. So then we get, we get bigger to a town or a city of a hundred thousand, 150,000. What does the makeup of a procurement department look like at that point.
0: As you get larger, you'll start to have dedicated resources that will have a purchasing title. So historically, a lot of times, and and you'll still maybe see some today, someone will hold what's called a buyer title, which is really that person responsible for the working and interacting with the vendors and helping support the day-to-day purchases that are needed by that city county town. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, As the organizations get larger. That buyer may become a procurement specialist. The The separation of having multiple buyers in order to handle the workload of the buying that happens from just a sheer transaction, but also vendor partnerships, the larger an entity gets, the more team members you'll need.
1: But procurement is about acquiring new things. So help me understand, they're buying so many new things that they need these dedicated people. Is
0: Yeah, and they're also you have to remember they're also helping manage the existing too. Okay, most of the time, right? So when you are in a medium sized organization, you have procurement people that are helping do spot buys. I just need to go buy a couple lawn mowers because we need to be lawn mowers, right? I'm only I'm not buying enough lawn mowers in a year that I need to establish a contract and have a big old managed relationship. But procurement is going to help in that medium size make that one time purchase on behalf of the facilities department based on the dollar value when i need professional services like i maybe i need custodial services i don't have in house people i've got multiple locations across my city that i need custodial services that's going to be i'm not only going to help source that and identify who we're going to use for that we're going to establish a contract and so procurement will support the renewal process, the performance of the vendor on behalf of the facilities department, in that example, where they're going to do some other activities in the day-to-day buying. This is
1: fascinating. Is that helpful? Um, Some people might find this nerdy, but I'm finding it very enjoyable. (laughs) Like I said, this is black box is being opened up. And since procurement is such a broad space of things that we talk about, you know, you talked about contracts and sourcing buyers and things like that. I think we should probably niche down first and talk about, so procurement, because they're not the accounts payable, they're, you know, the acquiring services sort of things, they would be the ones responsible for RFPs, correct? Absolutely. Yep. I know a lot of entrepreneurs and people getting started, they, they see these RFPs, they think about putting in for them. So maybe you could help. Walk us through the RFP process and what it's like, from the procurement yeah. side of things. Because I think we all know what it's like on the other side.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sure. So. The two most traditional procurement methods that have been around, well, the one that's been around the longest is what's called a bid or a request for quote, a competitive bid is the most formal, I will say that the nicest way, it's the most formal, most traditional, oldest way of competitively going through a procurement method to buy things, right? Okay. But the only thing that you can consider in a bid is price. So we've watched okay. over time changes to statute that allow for updates and way we go through that. But the but the two most traditional procurement methods are a bid, which all you can take consider into consideration is cost and the request for proposal is generally the most formal way to go through a competitive procurement method to award to a vendor for the products or services that we're looking for. And I can evaluate as a public entity more than just cost. And that's nice. kind of the really, really simplistic as foundational as you can get bid versus RFP.
1: No, that, yeah. that makes sense. So when when our contacts or customers or whoever comes to us and say, hey, I love your product, but we can't buy it because our our city always buys the lowest bidder. What they're actually referring to is this historic process of closed bid purchasing. Yeah. And
0: and yep,
1: not exactly RFPs.
0: Which is uh, the best value, right? Okay. And depending on what their documented statutes are from a public procurement purchasing perspective what they're required to do some state laws will have thresholds in them. Others will specify if you're buying commodities and will define commodities this way, you have to buy it this way, this way, or this way. Others will have more discretion where it can say, you know, you can utilize an RFP, which is a best value evaluation, which can take into things other than price. So you're going to have statutorily what they have to find. And then on top of that, you're going to have policies and administrative guidelines and procedures that dictate, for lack of better words, how I can actually go about buying what I need from the vendor community. And some are way more prescriptive and, and some some have more grayness, right? Some, yeah. if you if you hit $25,001, I no longer have discretion to do it in these four ways. I have to do it this way. And sometimes that's because of state law. And sometimes that's because of a policy or an administrative guideline that's been established by that specific government.
1: Okay, that's good. So I was gonna ask that. So state law defines what's required for these purchasing processes. And that's defined not just for the state government. You're saying that also law also applies to counties. Yep. Generally speaking towns, yeah. For the most part.
0: So you will have state broad first, and then you may have some local jurisdictions that will pass ordinances that yeah. then will further describe and, and codify how procurement can and can't happen. They may put more more restrictive thresholds, for example, where the state threshold may say, up until $50,000, it's your discretion on how you make the purchase. And a city may say, actually, we're going to make that at $10,000, and this is how we're going to do it. So that's kind of the order of precedence, and I'm not a lawyer, so make sure No, no <laughs> this, that's is, fine. this yeah. is being guided in my guardrails by lawyers for a really yeah, long time own... in procurement roles that help me understand where I can and can't go.
1: And that, I mean, not not to sidetrack us too far here, but, you know, thinking about those laws and as, as a procurement professional, yeah. those laws are probably first and foremost in your head, correct? Have to uh, be,
0: right? Yeah. That's your role in procurement is you have to ensure compliance to law and we want to be best stewards of our taxpayer dollars possible so in procurement we care about maximizing our taxpayer dollars creating savings making sure that if we have socioeconomic goals like supplier diversity that's important to procurement you see all those initiatives be cyclical but from a procurement there's really kind of two things that are first and foremost to be a successful procurement team is you have to ensure that your organization is being compliant to procurement law Otherwise, we're going to have huge implications and issues from an audit and breaking the law perspective. And then you are um, being a great internal organization by by making sure you are maximizing those taxpayer dollars that you have in delivering the goods and services that your government needs in order to operate.
1: Now, this is very enlightening. Very. Um, it's amazing. That's yeah. why I love
0: procurement. I mean, <laughs> if I'm being honest, like, you know as somebody that loves to take one hat off and put one on like the things you learn and you understand and you're part of like you work on really meaningful projects like yes i may not be the the head of corrections for the state of indiana or the head of workforce development that's got their own kpis and initiatives and goals they're working to achieve but procurement is such a key part of helping them be successful that like you can walk away at the end of the day and say like you know what I helped save one hundred thousand dollars today. I helped the BMV figure out how to take credit cards, right? Yeah. Like you're part yeah. of that, and it's a really important job. And if you don't feel like you are, then then your role and function within your organization is probably not valued either. And then you have to take a bigger step back of what are we doing and why are we doing it that way?
1: So I mean, to to put this over back to the vendors, especially the small guys. And, yeah, you know, without the big resources and everything, because they're you know they. I think they can deliver better service, but the reason why we have the big guys is because they have to deal with these processes and they need, mm-hmm. you know, they need to pay these people that can go through these RFPs and these contracts and things like that. So you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, but if, if, if we've got a, a purchase going through, or we've, we've got our client interested in buying and everything, and it, and the next thing we know, the procurement officer wants to talk to us. Mm-hmm. They're going in thinking about these laws and they're going into the conversation thinking about these objectives that have been set by the organization. So if you flip the hat, what what can a small business do to stand out when the procurement officer starts? I, I mean, I've have had all kinds of, I've had them start to ask what we do what is this tool for and it's so niche like how are you in procurement going to know the details of the fto program at the police department and how and how on earth am i supposed to summarize that to you in a five or ten minute conversation
0: yeah you're right i'm <laughs> probably not going to know those details that's, that's the, the end user in the police receiver, the right to user. know that right yeah, and, and the procurement person needs to trust that so i think First and foremost, if I'm the procurement person and I'm coming to you as a business, as in response to police department reached out to me and said, we want, we're interested in this. Can you have a conversation with this vendors? Most of the time, what I need to to do first is figure out how do I get my department, what they want. In compliant to law, right? So I need to understand the scope of what you're proposing to provide to my police department. And, and you're going to be... have to probably give it to me in layman's terms, right? <laughs> like, this is what we're trying. This is what our company wants to provide to your police department. This is why. And this is how much it's going to cost. If you foundationally start there in a pretty I will say layman's term first to procurement, let the procurement person get in the weeds with you so that they understand it. But what they need to first, there's a couple of things from a compliance law that procurement's trying to figure out. They're first trying to make sure they understand what you're delivering, right? It doesn't have to be at the same detail that police knows from an expertise perspective in this example, right? But they need to understand if I were to write a contract, what would the scope say? what would the price say? So I understand the implications to cost and budget. And then I'm going to take the understanding of scope and costs and be able to figure out what is the best way and compliant to law that I can put you into a contract with police. So let's take it in the the extreme example of the police chief comes to me and says, I want to work with vendor ABC. This is what they do. Here's their contact information, go figure it out. So that what I need to do, like, Procurement should be starting with a is that,
1: yes. Is that how it happens? Not a, lot a times? no. Yeah.
0: Sometimes it is absolutely that, does.
1: I mean, you know, because you yeah. know, these these directors and you know, government yeah. is so many people, right? There's so many right. departments and everything, and they're all going to conferences and going to vendor halls and
0: yeah, seeing so new products. So it's going to depend how far they are in their vetting process, right? Okay. But but let's take the example of. Procurement hasn't been doing the vetting and the research and the sourcing and the understanding of how to solve what police needs. The police chief did it, right? And the police Mm -hmm. chiefs met with five vendors. They're doing a lot of that upfront work without procurement involvement, which we can talk about another day. I'm gonna pin that for now, right? but, But it's their responsibility. They're taking that ownership. They're figuring it out. And you know what, they do all this vetting and they say, this vendor I wanna work with, here's why I wanna work with them. They're gonna give that justification internally to procurement. And it's procurement's job to figure out if they can work with that vendor directly and not have to go through a solicitation, right? Or they're going to say, look, chief, like based on everything you've said, I've had a conversation with the vendor, you've given me all this documentation. Like I don't think in good conscience, we can actually just negotiate and work directly with this vendor because we're going to be breaking law. Like, and I'm going to make it as simple as that for illustrative purposes. But what procurement should be doing when they're having that conversation with the vendor should understand is, they're not coming to that vendor to poke holes in them and figure out why they can't work with them. They're having that conversation with that vendor because there's a genuine interest in, in understanding from one of their internal clients, in this case, the police chief, to say, I'm trying to understand what they need so that I can figure out if I can can fit it in compliance law. Procurement understands that these companies are are in business to make money. We're not looking for you to lose and create a poor contract because that means you're not going to perform for us, right? As a good vendor partner. So procurement has to figure out, okay, if you sell a service, what are my options from procurement law of how I can actually get into contract with you? And it may be in some places, big or small, state laws, policies, size of dollar value, I may not have a choice. It may say like, if you go to I think it's Nashville public schools, if you look at their procurement policies, I don't care what you're buying. If it's $25,000 or more, I have to go through an RFP process. So if I'm a small vendor meeting and working with Nashville schools, and I'm going to buy, I'm going to sell something to them over 25,000. I'm going to have to understand that procurement process because it doesn't matter if that Chief wants it the chief of police for the schools. wants your solution, if it's over $25,000, I have to go through this process. And so as a, as a vendor in preparation, as part of my sales and business development, I need to be meeting with procurement. I need to understand that RFP process. So when that time comes, I've got myself set up for success to then go through that game, right of, of the RFP process and that evaluation that ultimately gets me to win that contract. So. Yeah there are so many variances right um, There
1: are this is very this is very enlightening and so you do get that call from the procurement officer or whatever you mentioned some things earlier but i just wanted to maybe summarize them some things that you should convey as a vendor that might help make the procurement officer's job easier so you, you talked yeah. about scope why price if if you meet any of those those goals as a company, I think w- that would be the appropriate time to bring that up, right? Like yeah, you know, we're absolutely. a woman owned business, we're a minority owned right. business. Is, is there any other information that you would recommend?
0: Yeah, at the highest of levels, if you as a vendor, if I put myself in the shoes of the procurement person, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's say police says, yes, I want to do this. What needs to happen is like picture what I need to be able to write into a contract. And the most important things are the scope, the pricing, right? The term of the contract. And then other things that are almost always collected are the business designation, MIS certified minority owned, woman owned, veteran owned. If you go to states like Massachusetts, LGBTQ, you will see service disabled veteran owned. So do I meet any of those designations? Right. Those things are all really important. If you are a brand new vendor to any government entity, one of the the checks is going to be: have we done business with you before? So then there will be other things that kind of financially viable. Are you registered with our Secretary of State? Those types of information that once we're truly in the green. But before we're making a decision, yeah, scope, price, the why. What 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 outcome am I helping support and drive? Because you because I vendor. I'm going to provide these services to the police department. The police department is going to be able to do X, Y, and Z. When you can connect them to service levels and key performance indicators and outcomes of my customer, that helps the justification all day long. If we're not doing that in our sales decks and techniques, those are things we need to to make sure we're connecting.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. And a simple kind of three minute, couple sentences way to let this procurement person wrap their head around it
0: proposal format simple couple pages right and you should have that that you hand to the police department that the police department's handing to procurement that will help trigger then the the next steps in the process
1: Uh, thanks Nicole for joining that was really helpful I learned a lot sounds like we're gonna have to have you back on again absolutely well that was uh, that was a great conversation with Nicole and I have uh, a couple of thoughts after after that and how we can Take this information and apply it to our own businesses. The first big takeaway for me is just understanding what procurement is and how it's separated from accounts payable, accounts receivable, and the people that we invoice and pay, and understanding that those two roles are entirely separate. I didn't really realize that until this conversation. Speaking of the role, I think the second takeaway is just that uh, procurement, and this is a big one, isn't there to scuttle the deal. And I've always kind of felt that because they're, you know, shopping around. It kind of feels like when you talk to procurement on the phone that they're thinking about, well, are there other ways we can solve this, and uh, you know, why are we choosing you, that kind of thing. But, and the second point kind of relates to this is, you know, in my experience, you know, it always felt like procurement was trying to derail the deal, uh, that they're digging into you because they want to see if there's something cheaper they can do, uh, or a better way they can do it. And uh, you know this, obviously this is after I've already got buy-in from our buyer and uh, you know our, our main users and everything and then it goes to procurement and you think, oh man, they're just trying to they're just trying to wreck this thing that we got going that we spent so much time on. Uh, but uh, after talking uh, in this conversation, it seems like we need to focus more on alignment with procurement. and if we can, uh, you know, talk about, you know, how our our business or our service fits any of, of their goals, the city, town, village, state's goals, you know, that their procurement department has. You know, whether we have a kind of special business statuses, uh, but also even if you don't qualify for anything like that, just talking about how we make the agency that we're serving better or make the user better, uh, how we are make things more efficient, protect them, etc., and, and just having that language ready and in, in quick and simple form so that the procurement officer can can process that. So, and then the, the last major takeaway for me too is understanding what the law is for procurement and purchasing. And here in Indiana, that's gonna be uh, section 522. And uh, I'm gonna uh, read that <laughs> very very soon here, very shortly. And uh, keeping that in mind for the pricing strategy. How is that going to influence our pricing going forward uh, for our product or services? And that wraps us up for today. Hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode and maybe learned a thing or two. I'd love to hear your suggestions on topics or questions you'd like us to explore in future episodes. So Feel free to drop us a line at podcast at civicthinker.com. Until next time.